Ezekiel chapter 1, possibly further tonight. We'll see how we do through this first chapter. Ezekiel, one of the major prophets, as we are leaving the minor prophets, something that has, I don't think has ever happened here. We are doing Ezekiel and Daniel together, so that is exciting that's coming up. Hopefully, well, my speed through Malachi hasn't been as quick as I thought, so we'll have that coming up soon, so read ahead also into Daniel chapter 1 tonight. Let's look at it, Ezekiel chapter 1. Now it came to pass in the 30th year of the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, so that I was among the captives by the river Chabar, that the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. And on the fifth day of the month, which was in the fifth year of King Jehoiachin's captivity, the word of the Lord came expressly to Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzai, in the land of the Chaldeans by the river Chabar. And the hand of the Lord was upon him there. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for our night for worship, Lord. As we just draw close to you, what a sweet uh, sound it is for your bride to sing. And so, Father, that we look, even tonight, into some amazing, awesome things. And Lord, how you blessed Ezekiel with these visions. And Father, let us draw close to you, Lord, as we, we see your hand in the days in which we live. So bless those, Lord, in children's ministry and in youth ministry now, in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you have gone through either with us? Well, let's do that first. How many of you have gone through Ezekiel with us before? One, two, three, four, five. Five. Oh, my kids are finally, but you don't remember it. Okay. How many of you have never gone through the book of Ezekiel at a church ever? There you go. Welcome to Calvary Chapel. This is why we do what we do, so that you will have the information here. Ezekiel, let's take a look at him. A good old dead guy uh, gave a great intro. I thought it was great. He said, for the average reader of the Bible, the book of Ezekiel is mostly a perplexing maze of incoherent visions, a kaleidoscope of worldly wheels and dry bones that defy interpretation. This impression often causes readers then to shy away from studying the book and to miss one of the great literary and spiritual portions of the Old Testament. Now, I, I agree with him in this because if you read, how many of you read, uh, read ahead in chapter one? How many of you went, what? <laughs> and didn't go further. That's his point. Like right out of the gate, it's chapter one, and it's like, what is going on here? So what do they do? I think I, I'm going to go to a gospel. They go to something softer like Leviticus. <laughs> so you can understand that, right? Right out of the gate. If there's no context, if there's no whatever, and you're just reading it, it's like, what? <laughs> If you're taking note, Ezekiel's name means God strengthens or strengthened by God. This is a man who, uh, as we will see in a minute, as, is part of the second wave of captives um, out of Jerusalem. Now, at this time, uh, let's give a kind of a breakdown. There are three waves of attack upon Jerusalem by the Babylonians. Now, if you have been with us through the Minor Prophets, uh, we have seen that time and time again, the buildup of that showing uh, where the Babylonians, the Assyrians are, now southern, uh, the southern portion, Judah and Benjamin, uh, they now come under attack by the Babylonian Empire. For taking note, in 605 B.C., now we will restate this when we get to Daniel, but in 605 B.C., Jerusalem was first attacked, and Daniel 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were taken captive. They were the first amongst those. It says that they took, typically, uh, Babylon, a uh, fascinating um, empire. They would go into a land and they would take the best of the best. They would go in, find the politicians' kids, the high priest kids. They would take the most educated. And what the Babylonians did is they incorporated that into uh, their empire. And so they gained knowledge from uh, everywhere else. And well, that was Daniel. So that was in 605 BC. In 597 BC, Jerusalem was attacked again. The treasury in the temple was taken. And more captives were taken, right around 10,000. And this is where Ezekiel is. He is now taken captive. Again, if you're taking note now in 587, Nebuchadnezzar can't stands it, no more, the rebellion. And so he sends his army and Jerusalem is destroyed in 587 BC. So Ezekiel was taken captive in the second phase in 597. Um, let, let me give you just a, an idea of what's happening in this book, and then I'll give you some visuals. If the first wave of, uh, came and they didn't destroy, and by the way, the Babylonians didn't destroy like the Assyrians did. Usually they would keep an area, right? They wanted taxes, they wanted commerce, and so they, they wanted this satellite nation uh, to help, uh, again, grow the Babylonian empire. And so this first wave, they bring back, <clears throat> but <laughs> as the Jewish people can do so well, be a stiff-necked and hard-hearted people, and they just don't like anybody telling them what to do. Anyone else? And so during this time, we have three people. We have Jeremiah, we have Ezekiel, and we have Daniel. These are the three major prophets during this time. And what Jeremiah is telling the nation before the Babylonians come, hey, look, knock this stuff off. Uh, God is going to bring the Babylonians. It is for a purpose. It is a plan. God has orchestrated it. Just surrender, be okay, and go with them. Well, through that, the first wave, now the second wave, again, Jeremiah is speaking and they're not hearing the words of the Lord. I know this is going to be shocking, but during this time, there are a lot of false prophets that are speaking contrary to God's word. And we'll see that even through Ezekiel. Well, now they're taken captive in the second wave. Now, when Ezekiel is now in ministry, God is using Ezekiel plus Jeremiah at the same time Ezekiel's job is to tell the people, listen, uh, you guys better uh, straighten up because God's going to destroy Jerusalem completely. And so that's the first part of Ezekiel. Now, when Jerusalem is destroyed, by the way, it was destroyed, then Ezekiel, <coughs> hold on, <coughs> I do this for a living. When Jerusalem is destroyed, then Ezekiel's ministry changes to a one, one of hope and restoration. Got that? So, they were only supposed to be in Babylon for 70 years. Everybody remember that? So, you, you need to remember that. No matter what was going to happen, they were going to be there for 70 years. No matter what the false prophet said, they were going to be there for 70 years. And now that becomes part of the ministry of Daniel and Ezekiel. So let's put up the slide so you can understand. So we have our three main players. We have Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. And these are the timeline in their ministry. We will post this as usual on our, on our social media pages so you can see that. But you can see how far in advance Jeremiah's ministry is, by the way. That guy, I feel bad for Jeremiah. He's called the weeping prophet. You know why? Nobody listened to him that entire time. How would you like to not be listened to for that long? It, I know what you're thinking. It's called being a parent. <laughs> That's easy. So you got Jeremiah's ministry. In, in the middle of that, we have uh, Ezekiel, and then we have Daniel's ministry that lasts a lot longer. Ezekiel's ministry is a lot 
shorter. So, it tells us in verse 1 about Ezekiel 1 through 3, it tells us that he is a priest. In fact, he is from the priestly line of Zadok, and so he is unusual in that a lot of the other prophets, they weren't priests, but Ezekiel is, and you'll hear that flavor come out. So it came to pass in the 30th year, that would be the 30th year of Ezekiel's life. Now that's interesting, why? Well, because on the 30th year as a priest, what do you do? You start the ministry as a priest. And so he is declaring his start in the priesthood, but God has a completely different job for him. And he says, I was among the captives or the exiles by the river Chabar. Now, this is a canal north of Babylon. So he is not with Daniel. He probably knows him. He's going to reference that. But they are in two different areas and two different ministries. And so he says, on the fifth day of the month, which was in the fifth year of Jehoiakim's, Jehoiachin's captivity. So this is going to bring us, it's amazing, uh, the dating here at July 31st, 593 B.C. And so pretty accurate for him to give us that uh, detail. And so notice in th- verse 3 it says, The word of the Lord came directly, expressly, to Ezekiel. He would have known about Jeremiah, Isaiah. He would have known about the prophets. He would have read about them, heard about them. But now I, I love how this says that God directly speaks to Ezekiel because he has a specific task and a specific ministry. And so he expresses to Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzzi, and who doesn't love that name? <sighs> in the land of the Chaldeans. So this is, again, Iraq. Uh, they are not Arabs. Don't call them that. Don't call the Iranians Arabs. They're Persians. These are Chaldeans, and these are Persians. These are an ancient, ancient people. So notice it says that the hand of the Lord was upon him there. And so now this first declaration, these first visions of Ezekiel, this how we... This is how we get going. And right out of the bat, he says, Then I looked, and behold, a whirlwind coming out of the north, a great cloud with a raging fire engulfed itself, and brightness was all around it, and radiating out of, out of its midst like the color of amber and the midst of the fire. Um, much like John the Revelator in Revelation, he's going to use the phrase like, because as we will see today, tonight, how do you describe this thing? Go ahead. I mean, when we get to heaven, Ezekiel's going to say, that's what I meant. Right there. That's what he looks like. Okay, now you describe that. Right? Imagine if you, did, if you had never seen an elephant before. And no one around you ever had seen an elephant. How do you describe that? Well, it's got big feet. And he's got this trunk and floppy ears, and we're like, what? I don't even, I, I have no reference. How do you describe cherubim and possibly some platform where God is sitting? How do you describe that not knowing anything <laughs> uh, and you're living in 593 B.C.? It's kind of hard, huh? So let's give Ezekiel a little break, amen? Amen. And I'm going to tell you right off the bat, I have zero idea. All right, maybe like 0.5, but that's about it. It's okay not to know everything in the Bible. This isn't a salvation issue. This isn't like Paul directing us or John directing us or Peter or even Jesus about the cross, about the resurrection. There are some wonderful things that we will be able to understand But then there are things you're just going to go, wow. Here we go. Here's the wow. And from it came, I'm sorry, and from within it came the likeness of four, I want you to highlight the word, creatures. And this was their appearance, that they had the likeness of a man, 
I'm going to read this section and come back. And each one of them had four faces, each one had four wings, and their legs were straight, and the soles of their feet were like the soles of calves' feet. What? And they sparkled. Oh, my kids love that one. <laughs> like the color of burnished bronze. The hands of a man were under their wings, and on the four sides were each sides of the four faces had wings, and their wings touched one another, and the creatures did not turn when they went, but each one went straight. And as for the likeness of their faces, each one had the face of a man, each one had four of the face of a lion on the right side, each had four of the face of an ox on the left side, and each had the four faces of an eagle. And their faces and their wings stretched upward, two wings of each had touched them and another and covered their bodies. And each went straight forward, and when they, whenever the Spirit wanted them to go, they did not turn when they went, and as for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance were like burning coals of fire, like the appearances of torches going back and forth among the living creatures, and the fire was bright, out of the fire was lightning, and the creatures ran back and forth in the appearance like a flashing light. Now when I looked at the living creatures, behold a wheel, oh great, something else, and there was a wheel on the earth beside the living creatures with its four faces and the appearance of the wheels and their workings were like the color beryl or yellow. And all four had the same likeness and the appearance of their workings were as it were a wheel in the middle of a wheel. And when they moved, they went towards one of the four directions, but they did not turn aside from where they went. And as for the rims, they were so high. You know how they called the Aner squat? You ever seen that? The trucks with the big tires and the lights inside? That's all I thought about when I was thinking of this. It's where we live. And for their rims, they were so high and they were so awesome and their rims were full of eyes all around them, and when the living creatures went, the wheels went beside them, and when the living creatures were lifted up from the earth, and the wheels were lifted up, and wherever the Spirit wanted them to go, they went, because the Spirit went, and the wheels were lifted together with them, for the Spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. Okay. How are we doing so far? Now you know why you went to John, didn't you? <laughs> They're like, what is going on? Okay, verse 5 again. Notice I told you to put creatures there. What we're seeing here are creatures, not angels. Now, it could be, I just, it could be that this is in a class of angels, but angels seem to be a different group. Uh, there is a rank of angel, and then there is one archangel. You know what his name is? Michael. And then we have Gabriel. He doesn't have a special title, but he is in charge of birth announcements. He got like one job. He pulled it out of the head. Woohoo, birth announcements. So we have angels, and we have an archangel, Michael, that seems to be in charge of protecting Israel and blowing the trumpet for the rapture of the church. So on the way up, give Michael a high five. But then there are cherubim and seraphim. That's what these groups fall into. Now, it's interesting to me because he could have said angel, could he not? If that's truly what it was. And at the end of the day, it could be, and when we're in heaven, you know what? It won't matter. And Ezekiel will point to it and we're like, oh, I knew it. But I don't think that they are angels. They are something else because they are creatures. You know, the, this world is filled with creatures that are indescribable. I love how they take submarines further and further into the depths and they keep finding things. They're like, we never saw that. And the, by the way, in the 
the things that are really deep, they're really creepy, aren't they? They got like a head like this and teeth like that and eyes that are bugging out, right? It's kind of hard to describe that too. So they're creatures. Okay, I promised you a UFO message. Let's dive into it for a brief moment, then we will pop right out of it. Many people like to think that what they are seeing in this chapter is a UFO. I mean, Joel, throw up that slide. I mean, what, what does this look like? What, what are these creatures and wheels upon wheels and ultimately this platform that we will see? And well, obviously that's the Lord that will see that. But you try to figure that out. What is that? What's a wheel upon a wheel going up in this way and moving it seems like something that doesn't operate like an aircraft? Kind of sounds like a little bit of what people see today. So what are we seeing today? What is going on? <laughs> well, many people like to think that this is a UFO. Now, a UFO is simply an unidentified flying object. You got that? Do you know that everything in the sky that you do not know is literally an unidentified flying object? I believe in UFOs. Did I shock anybody? Because I look up and I don't know what that is. You know what that is? That's an unidentified flying object. The argument that people want to make is that there is alien life on planets in our galaxy or far away. We, you know, have movies, a galaxy far, far away. Now listen, that might be entertaining and fun to see battles in space, but there cannot be life outside of the third rock from the sun. I hope you tonight will understand that it doesn't matter what our government claims is out there, <laughs> like we're going to believe them. Yeah? You need to know what the Bible says. Are you ready? Evolutionists, because of their theories on the universe and the Big Bang and the billions of years, what they do is it, it allows, it gives room then for life supposedly on other worlds. But many astrophysicists, these are big words for me tonight, and mathematicians have done calculations and proved that we truly live on a privileged planet. You see, in order to have life, you need to have a certain size of star. In order to have life, you need a certain size uh, and color temperature of stars and of heat. In order to have life, you need to be at a certain distance from the star. The star can't be too big. It can't be too small. The planet can only be in the life zone. There is a life zone for planets. And I don't know if you figure this out, but we have other planets in our solar system that are not in the life zone. It cannot sustain life. Man, the life zone even includes it must have a moon. Um, anybody notice that big thing in the sky at night? It's the moon. And the moon is the perfect size. The perfect size, I might add, for eclipses, but also the tides and how the tides work on planet Earth with the moon. And if you go to the other planets in our solar system, most of them have multiple moons. It doesn't work. All of this, by the way, is in the wonderful documentary, Privileged Planet. We have that in the bookstore. If you've never watched it, you need to watch it, and you need to share it with people who think that E.T. is out there. Because the math, and I know that we think math is racist lately, but math is math, and math doesn't change. And you cannot change the statistics and the numbers. 
Now, that's just on an astrophysicist physicist and mathematician level. But it goes against Genesis 1, doesn't it? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the finish, the next word. I'm sorry, what, it, what was it? Earth. Okay. God created the heavens and the earth. It says this earth is the place in the entire universe where God poured out his spirit upon man. Not only poured his spirit upon man, but he created a planet so that mankind might worship and have fellowship with the triune nature of God. I might add, and then perfectly placed in our known galaxy so that we can observe the universe. Hmm. Now, because we believe that the earth is only around 6,000 years old, it's a young earth, God created this planet, then there does not give room for evolution or evolving on another planet. Am I helping or am I hurting? <laughs> Let me keep going. Remember, Jesus came as the man-God, not the God-Wookiee, staying with Star Wars, or the God of the Jedi. He is the man-God. That is so important. And I'm pretty sure if we were not it, he would have let us know. You see, God came and died for the sins of all mankind. Sin is not, if you were going to leave it there, if there were other worlds, are you saying that those other worlds are without sin? So did God have to, man, he's had to die a lot then. See, I think sometimes in the church, we don't think it out. Again, a lot of this extraterrestrial UFO life on other planets mainly started to gain speed right around the time that Israel became a nation in 1948. It's not by happenstance. That's God's prophetic time clock. And it started again. So you had guys started producing books and literature. And ultimately, we saw a big push on the big screen and television. It's a narrative that we are not alone in the universe. Now, I happen to believe that when the church is raptured, the UFO, the extraterrestrial component of the big lie will come into play. I want to give you a scenario. I have had this scenario for decades. I still hold on to this scenario. We get raptured. Isn't that exciting? Who are you supposed to high five on the way up? Michael. He's got a shirt. Big M. After we're gone, the world is in turmoil, and they're trying to figure out what's happening. I believe, because what I know from the Bible, is that it is very possible because Satan is the father of lies, and during the tribulation and other times, he is able to do lying signs and wonders, that he could have some kind of craft land on the White House lawn and ask to see Joe Biden <laughs> or whoever else is the president. And three little people come out, and this is what they say. In order for mankind to evolve to the next level, we needed to take the Christians out of the way. And the entire world is going to believe it because they've been watching Star Wars and Star Trek and every other movie that's out there. There's a new show on, on, on Apple. It's called Invasion. I mean, how many extraterrestrial landing on our planet trying to take mankind out do we need for everybody on planet Earth to know that? It's the giant lie. There are no extraterrestrials. 
They are not from outside. They are from inside. What we are seeing, for the most part, are probably demons. Let me read to you from 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14. And no wonder, it says, for Satan himself transforms into an angel of light. So it is no wonder then that what people see that can move in a non-military, non-plane way with lights or whatever is just a deception. Don't believe the lie of the enemy. Okay. That was the UFO talk. Now let's get back to the weirdo wheel in the wheel. So these four living creatures from verse 5 on, these are, these are cherubim. We know that because he will describe it again for us. He will let us know that. By the way, one of the cherubim that you know that has a name, his name is Lucifer. He was a cherub. In fact, we'll learn more about him in Ezekiel and his fall, it says, in Eden. So, in some way, oh, by the way, because um, I don't think this is an angel, this is one of the rare areas in the Bible where it talks about wings. That's why people think that angels have wings. That's not in the Bible at all. Only here, speaking of cherub. So, if it's only the cherub, because we've seen in the Bible... (laughs) Uh, when angels are talking to men, it, it seems that they, have, they take the appearance of a man or some kind of form like that. You know, things don't just pop out of the back and they're like, oh, here's my wings. So the, wing, <clears throat> excuse me, the wings are only mentioned here. Let's jump down now after we've left these uh, cherub. In verse 22... It says, the likeness, mm-hmm. the likeness of the ferment above the heads of the living creatures was like the color of an awesome crystal stretching out over their heads. And under the firm, firmament, their wings were spread out straight, one towards another, each one having two, which on one side, each two on the other side covered the other side of the body. And when they went, I heard a noise of their wings, like the noise of many waters, like the voice of the Almighty, like a tumult, like the noise of an army. And when they stood still, they let down their wings. And a voice came from above the firmament that was above their heads. Whenever they stood, they let down their wings." And above the firmament and above their head was the likeness of a throne in appearance and like sapphire stone and like the likeness of the throne was like the appearance of a man high above it. And also from the appearance of his waist and upwards, I saw as it were the color of amber and the appearance of fire all around it. And from the appearance of his waist and downwards, I saw it and the appearance of fire and brightness all around it. And then, like the appearance of a rainbow in the cloud on a rainy day, so it was the appearance of the brightness all around. This is the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And so I saw it, saying, this is Ezekiel, and then I fell on my face and I heard the voice of one speaking. By the way, I wanted to, make a shirt with a rainbow on it that says, excuse me, that's mine, God. (laughs) So if you make that, I want to cut. But I want to put that on a billboard, by the way. Excuse me, that's mine. Just here. It's over the throne of God. So that's a huge scene to start, right? Why is this happening? Because in Ezekiel's eye and everyone else in Judah that has been carried captive, Nebuchadnezzar is the God. He is the man. 
We're going to see that in Daniel. He's going to make a 90-foot statue and then have everyone bow down when the music plays. Ezekiel needs to know, hey, he's not God, I am. That's, that's a good way to start your ministry as a prophet. Chapter 2. And so he said to me, son of man, by the way, this is uh, one of his favorite uh, titles for Ezekiel, son of man, and I love son of man. Jesus uses it, son of man. Stand on your feet and I will speak with you. Now, if you are in the presence of God, you will note with me that it is hard to get up on your own. So verse (laughs) 2, then the spirit entered me. And when I spoke, he set me on my feet. (laughs) So couldn't do it on his own. God's like, help the little feller out. And the spirit came into him. Then he rose and he said, and I heard him who spoke to me. So now this is Ezekiel's call and orders into the ministry. (laughs) Uh, And he said to me, son of man. I am sending you. I like you to highlight that. I am sending you. I'm the one that is sending you. You're a priest, but I'm sending you out. And where am I sending you? <laughs> Sometimes in the I'm glad these guys had that ministry. I would like to not have this ministry. Uh, we'll see what the description is of the children of Israel. He said, I'm sending you to the children of Israel. Okay, to a rebellious nation. That has rebelled against me and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. For they are impudent and a stubborn children. I am sending you to them and you shall say to them, thus says the Lord. I don't know if Ezekiel's like, is there another people I could go to? Is there another group? I mean... Do I really need to go to a stubborn and a stiff-necked people like my people? Is, is there not another group of people? Sometimes God calls us to a ministry that doesn't sound fun. But it is necessary. I'm pretty sure Ezekiel would not have chosen this path. Well, as stubborn kids, stubborn children, verse 5... And as for them, whether they hear you or whether they refuse, they are a rebellious house, yet they will know that a prophet has been amongst them. Now, um, I love this verse. Hopefully you love it, but for me in ministry, it's important. Uh, It is not whether you hear me or not. I, I, I can't change how you listen, how your heart is. All God says is, at least I sent one person so that you would hear. And you cannot say to God, I did not hear. And I love that God at least sends to them. Notice they're rebellious. Does he have to? No. He could just say, "Ah, forget about it. I'll deal with Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I'll deal with Ezekiel. Uh, we'll de- uh, you know, I'll deal with Jeremiah, but not these guys. No, that's not the heart of God. Okay, <laughs> for them, whether they hear or whether they refuse for their rebellious house, yet they will know that a prophet has been amongst them. And you, son of man, listen, do not be afraid of them, nor be afraid of their words, Though briars and thorns are with you, and you dwell among scorpions, (laughs) don't be afraid of their words or dismayed by their looks, for they're a rebellious house. Man, this is a passage for anybody in ministry. If you think getting in ministry so you can be liked, Nope. Do you know the looks I get? (laughs) The daggers that come my way. The offended people that I dare talk about life and be anti-abortion. 
all of the cultural things that we deal with in this nation, that God has clear, defined parameters. (laughs) Don't be afraid of the words, boy, I wish I would have read that the first couple of years in ministry. You think words are important from people. I mean, they aren't they supposed to be Christians? Hmm. But oftentimes they are briars and thorns. And then you find out later that there are scorpions and they love to sting you in the back. But I don't work in the way, <clears throat> and please forgive me, I work for Jesus. I serve him. And I minister to whoever comes through the door, be it Sunday or Wednesday. And that's my role. I have learned to, and it can be at times not such a good thing, is put up a strong defense. Because I do hear the briars, the thorns, and the scorpions. And God says, hey, don't be afraid of their words or dismayed at their looks or their posts or their emails or their mailings. By the way, if you want to criticize me, put your name on the letter. I have learned this from Pastor Chuck. He taught us well as pastors. He said, every time I get a letter, uh, he said, I would turn to the back of the page. If I did not see a name, I crumpled it up and threw it away immediately. I love it. <laughs> I, you would, I, I think I should start saving them and scanning them because I don't think you believe me. I, I can't tell you how many things I get that I am an heir and I'm a false prophet and you are in a cult because they, whoever the they are, they have the deep knowledge. I'm pretty sure I'm reading the Bible. (laughs) Don't be dismayed, they're a rebellious house. So you shall speak, notice whose words? God's word. Why do we go chapter by chapter, verse by verse? Why do I not topically teach? Because I want more of God and less of me. There is a danger in me. There is a danger in pontificating much words and sounding educated. Have you ever been in a message and somebody taught and they went right over your head and you're like, sounded like, professional, but I had no idea what he was talking about. Perhaps you were thinking that right now. (laughs) You shall speak my words. Very important. Everybody, no matter what your teaching ministry is here, be it home fellowships, children's ministry, whatever it is, you must speak God's word. That's why we place a heavy emphasis on God's word. Whether they hear it or whether they refuse, they are rebellious. But you, son of man, hear what I say to you and do not be rebellious like the rebellious house. Open up your mouth and eat what I give you. Uh, I mean, he's standing there before God. What is he going to say? I had a sandwich before. Now when I looked, there was a hand stretched out to me. Now, does it say whose hand? Is this a little weird? Like one of the creatures? There's just some hand coming out? Am I the only one that thinks weird things like this? Okay, I'll be the weird one. And behold, a scroll of a book was in it. And so he spread it out before me, and there was writing on the inside and on the outside, And written on it were lamentations and mournings and woes. Chapter 3, moreover, no chapter break. He said to me, said a man, eat what you, wait, eat what you find, eat this scroll, go and speak to the house of Israel. Now, uh, as an illustration, it's probably the words that he is going to speak. So 
in order for anybody to teach God God's word, he first must bring it into his own life. Uh, Maybe you've heard this. I've said this a, a gazillion times. My pastor told me, he said, Ron, if the, the section of Scripture that you are teaching, if it doesn't change you, it won't change them. You must first partake of it. The Bible says as a farmer, we must partake of it first. Then we can be the beneficiaries of giving it out. So Ezekiel is partaking of God's word and then he can give it out. So I opened up my mouth. <laughs> and he, not sure who the he is, maybe it's the he hand, <laughs> uh, caused me to eat the scroll. And he said to me, Son of man, feed your belly and fill your stomach with this scroll that I gave you. And so I ate, and so it was in my mouth like honey in sweetness. And so he said to me, Son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak with my words to them, for you are not, I'm sorry, for you are not sent to a people of an unfamiliar speech or of a hard language, but to the house of Israel. Not to many people of an unfamiliar or hard speech whose words you cannot understand, for surely I have sent you to them that they would have listened to you. But the house of Israel will not listen to you because they will not listen to me. <laughs> For the house of Israel is impotent and of hard hearing. <clears throat> Again, why is he doing this? So that Israel will not say, <clears throat> Lord, we didn't know. Oh, no, no, you did know. Uh, Your honor, Jeremiah, Isaiah, all of these prophets, then you were taken captive, then we've got Daniel and Ezekiel out there, and they're speaking forth and declaring God's word. So, behold, verse 8, I have made your face strong against their faces, and your forehead strong against their forehead. Like an adamant stone, harder than flint, so he's hard-headed. I have made your forehead. Do not be afraid of them, nor be dismayed at their looks, for they are a rebellious house. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, receive into your heart all of my words, that I might speak to you and hear with your ears. And go and get to the captives of the children of my people and speak to them and tell them, thus says the Lord of hosts, Wherever they hear or whether they refuse. Well, then the Spirit lifted me up, and I heard behind me a great thunderous voice that said, Blessed is the glory of the Lord from this place. And I heard the noise of the wings of the living creature that touched one another, and the noise of the wheels beside them in a great thunderous noise. And so the Spirit lifted me up and took me away, and I went in bitterness in the beat of my spirit, but the hand of the Lord was strong upon me. You could understand in verse 14, he's bummed out, and he standing before the glory of the Lord. And then I came to the captives of Tel Abib, that's not Tel Aviv, Tel Abib, who dwelt by the river Chabar, and I sat there where I sat, and I remained there astonished for seven days. I'm pretty sure if you had this vision you'd sit there dumbfounded for the same amount of time. Amen? Now, before we leave tonight, Ezekiel, I want to give a heads up of what the heart of this is about because I wanted to show you this section. We're not going to finish chapter 3. We'll wait for next week for that, Lord willing. But I wanted to show you the heart of Ezekiel and the heart of God. Turn now to Ezekiel chapter 39. Because I don't know about you, but that seems a little bleak, doesn't it? Ezekiel, I'm calling you to go to a people that are filled with briars and scorpions. They're not going to listen to you at all. And if you're Ezekiel, you're thinking, well, why am I going? Well, what's this for? I mean, Jesus is coming soon anyway. Why tell anybody? I mean, can't really change anything, can we? 
Ezekiel 39, verse 25. This is the heart of Ezekiel. It is not only of God's grace, but God's restoration. Thus says the Lord, Now I will bring back the captives of Jacob and have mercy on the whole house of Israel, and I will be jealous for my holy name. So there is a promise that they are going back. Now, after they have borne the shame and all of their unfaithfulness in which they were unfaithful to me, when they dwell safely in their own land and no one will make them afraid. And when I have brought them back from the peoples and gathered them from out of their enemies' lands, and I am hallowed in them and in the sight of many nations, and then they shall know, here it is, that I am the Lord their God, who sent them into captivity among the nations, but also brought them back to their land and left none of them captive anymore. And I will not hide my face from them anymore, for I shall have poured out my spirit upon the house of Israel, says the Lord. Huge, isn't it? By the way, near fulfillment, far fulfillment. Near fulfillment, they go back 70 years later. They rebuild the temple, Ezra and Nehemiah. Far fulfillment, 1948. Now, it's not all fulfilled there yet, right? They're not all hallowed the name of God. Only 10% in Israel is religious. But I love verse 29, that God does not hide His face from them anymore, and He will pour out His Spirit. The New Testament says, and then all Israel will be saved. That's how you fill in that verse. Well, Read ahead. I know that was a lot. That was a fire hose, Pastor Ron. Uh, that was a fire hose. So uh, next week, <clears throat> Lord willing, we'll pick up the rest of verse 3, and then we will start making a shift into God's restoration and ultimately them back in the land and a new temple and all of that as we journey through Ezekiel over the next few months. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. For your servant Ezekiel, Lord, this huge ministry that you are calling him to, Lord, with signs to show the people your love and the grace that you are pouring upon the nation of Israel. And that reminds us, Lord, of the grace that you have poured upon us. That your love for us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so, Father, we thank you for our time for your word, Lord, that's powerful, that shows us the power and the majesty and the awe of God, let alone the creatures that he has made. Thank you, Lord, for calling those into ministry and that, Father, that they would be encouraged by the words of Ezekiel to not be dismayed or discouraged to not be afraid of others' words, of the briars and of the thorns and of the scorpions, but, Lord, that you are with them. And that, Father, when we ingest the Word of God, then we become partakers and then we distribute that out. So thank you, Lord, for our night now. In Jesus' name, amen.